In this episode of Bits of Me, I'm talking to sex educator and mother of three, Sarah Sproul. Sarah is all about honesty, so when I told her about the podcast I was starting and went off on one about women's health and the desperately lacking awareness around so many of the things we go through, she straight away said, I'm your person for urinary incontinence. Sarah is one of those extremely calming, peaceful people, so this episode has a lot of calm and space about it. A big thank you to Sarah for sharing her experience and for always being up for talking about the difficult stuff. On sarahsproul.com, the first thing you see at the very top in big bold letters is less blushing, more talking, mm-hmm. which I think really is kind of perfect for, for what I'm trying to do here. Um, obviously for you and on that website, it's about having awkward conversations with our children. Um, today we're going to be talking about you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was thinking, you've told me a little bit about... Um, your own experiences with childbirth and mm. everything related to it. I'm kind of thinking we should jump straight into birth number two, mm-hmm. which I know you have some feelings about. So do you want to tell me a little bit about that time and what happened? Sure. So um, my second, uh, I'm going to say my second live birth, even though I've had no, I had had no miscarriage up until that point. My second live birth um was a vaginal delivery after cesarean section. And that was something I desperately wanted. It was something I sought, really, because um, I was raised in Australia, you can tell from my accent, and um, I noticed during the time I was pregnant, all my pregnancies really, that there was this cultural difference in birthing and everything to do with children and breastfeeding and everything in Ireland. It was quite different to what I was used to at home in Melbourne and so even with the cesarean section the first time around which was for reasons to do with emergency I had decided that I didn't want to go down the cesarean path with any other births I had and so this was an exciting time for me and I was going to sort of use my body for what it is designed for and it was very exciting and my gynecologist was supportive she wasn't completely like oh yes that's an excellent idea but she said no I'll, I'll go with you on that that seems to be a reasonable thing that's nice to hear you know I know mm-hmm. for for a lot of women with a v-back or vaginal birth after cesarean section it can be something that people feel very strongly about but that some obstetricians in particular can be fairly skeptical about but mm-hmm. you had the birth you wanted am I right I did. I had a vaginal delivery. Like, uh, And here is where I'm going to all of a sudden start censoring myself. I can feel myself censoring myself because I want to tell you that it was not what I imagined to be. Like it wasn't rainbows and unicorns, mm. right? But part of me wants to hold back on that because I, like, I know there is so many different stories around cesarean versus vaginal delivery you see so the experience was wonderful um I was glad my body had done it it was a bit shocking to be quite honest you know because I was used to um recovering with my first delivery from a cesarean section which is a lot more sort of obviously medical and sort of you can see that the wound and you know what's going on whereas a vaginal delivery whatever is happening down there afterwards is like this 
unknown <laughs> world. <laughs> you can sort of feel something's weird, but you can't really see what's going on. It's like, ah. And then to top that all off, I had an ongoing issue that went on for months and months to do with that delivery. And I mean, you and I've talked about that before, but that was urinary incontinence. Yeah. I just, and I was just weeing my pants whenever I would cough or sneeze. And it was just so, I was so horrified about it. It wasn't that it was particularly bad, like my clothes didn't smell. I managed it fine. But I was horrified that I was in my, what was I, 33, early 30s. And this was happening to me and no one had talked to me about it. I had never had a conversation with a female friend or anyone for that matter about urinary incontinence so this is when you've just had your your second child and presumably you have um, other mammy friends, so to speak, and mm-hmm. other people who have given birth around the same time. And you didn't feel that it was something that people were talking about, really? Not at that stage. I mean, I don't know if it's changed now, but I certainly felt like because I hadn't had a conversation with anyone about it before, just general terms like, oh, you know, sometimes we pee our pants after we have babies. No, we'd never really had that conversation. It's not particularly glamorous when you sort of think <laughs> about it. But so, um, I mean, what I know from my work and what I now know from personal experience around this urinary incontinence thing was that unless someone is brave enough to have a conversation, oftentimes there's not permission to talk about things that are a little bit taboo. Yeah. So... Um, and certainly with things that make, well, in, in my case, made me feel sort of like broken and dirty and sort of wrong or something. And so there was that overlay of shame about it. And of course, that doesn't help because, I mean, the fact that we don't talk about it contributes to that sense of something being wrong. If maybe if you hadn't felt lonely in your experience, you wouldn't have felt as as if something was wrong or if you were broken. But um, of course, if nobody else is talking to you about their experiences, then you're going to think that maybe you're alone. So so this happened. um, And what did you do? Did you go and ask someone for help or did you go and Google or? (laughs) I went to the GP and... I went to the GP a number of times because essentially it was, each time it was the same thing. You need to be doing more pelvic floor exercises. You need to be doing more pelvic floor exercises. And I was trying my best to do my pelvic floor exercises. And so every time it was this vicious circle of going back, being told I wasn't obviously doing the right things. So therefore I had to go away and try and do the right things and they weren't working. And so it was this constant cycle. So you were told to do pelvic floor exercises and they weren't working and you weren't sent then at that point to see a a pelvic floor physiotherapist. You were just told to go home and do it better. Yeah, that's right. And in fairness, Linnea, you know, I think probably we're talking, how old is he now? He's 14, 14 years ago. So Women's health and pelvic health has come on a lot in Ireland since then. Um, but what ended up happening for me is I was so distressed by it and just feeling like I was sort of a bad patient that I got on the phone to my mum, who was living in Melbourne at the time, and just sort of crying, saying, yeah. I feel broken. I can't do this. This is just like, am I going to need to wear incontinence wear for the rest of my life? And, and, um, Thankfully, she, one of her sisters had um, 
massive problems with incontinence, fecal incontinence as well after her, one of her deliveries and knew a really good physio in Melbourne. So when we went home that year from our Christmas trip, I had been booked in to see this physio and also to see, I can't remember, some sort of specialist in neuro something or other. And with the combination of those two things, um, two people and having sort of internal exams and being told, well, actually, you're not doing them wrong. This is now how you need to adjust your exercises and how you're doing it made a massive difference. And I think for me, you know, what I learned was we need, well, I needed detailed support and detailed information and someone to talk through the minutia of what my experience was. Because by that stage too, I just felt so sort of hopeless, I think. You know, mm. when something goes on for months and months and months, I started feeling like, well, was I just going to give up? And then I didn't feel sexy. And so it impacted a lot of my my life, like managing small children and running down the road and laughing at Thomas the Tank Engine videos or whatever it was at the time. Mm. It was just, it affected everything. And exercise, presumably, if you were doing any of, any of that as well. Yeah. So yeah. in your experience, um, so you obviously went home to Australia and got help there, which is actually quite a familiar story I think not for me personally but for a lot of a lot of people a lot of emigrants seem to Mm. find somebody back home somehow I don't know um if there's a a different trust in the system back home or like Mm. in your case it's through family but um when you came back here then what that was it you didn't have any more contact with the system in Ireland with regards to this particular problem I'm trying to remember. I, I no, I didn't because I lost trust a little bit too, mm. you know, at that stage. And um, what happened consequently was I was getting u- recurrent urinary tract infections. Mm. And so um, I was having to deal with the symptoms to do with that. And they were absolutely tied up in whether I was having intercourse or not. And you can imagine how if you, ha- you know, if you have a UTI, so the symptoms of a UTI, every time you have um, vaginal sex, it becomes a real, like it really impacts of course, quality yeah. of life. So we had, I think we had like a three-year-old and a one-year-old and we were doing our best to keep out sort of sexy times going on. And it was just like, I, I, I'm rolling my eyes thinking about what a struggle that was. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just, oh, can you hear me sigh? I'm like, I'm <laughs> going, oh, I feel the sadness of it even now. Because in fact, because that went on for so long then, I would say a few years, this sort of, um, this link between having sex and having urinary symptoms um, it really did impact our intimacy. Mm. And um, I'm not sure that I could say with my hand on my heart that our intimate life actually recovered after that because it's really hard when something so fun and exciting is paired then with pain and um, the the hassle of, you know, peeing and pain and it's all the things. Mm. I think, unfortunately, I hear so many women say that um, 
with regards to different problems, but if they're impacting on mm. your sex life that way, um, that's almost like this little side issue. Well, is it yeah. still working? Grand. Whereas yeah. I'm not confident that if, if a man came and said that it was really painful every time, that yeah. that wouldn't be given more weight, which is yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, did you end up talking to other women more after that? Or is it something that just kind of fizzled out for you? I actually, uh, this is so like me, but I just made it my personal mission to talk about urinary incontinence. Not all the time now, mind you. If you'd, if you'd bought me a beer in the pub, I probably wouldn't have talked to you about urinary incontinence. But it really was something I would not on purpose try to bring up. But if, if a conversation veered close to something to do with birth or whatever, I would always raise it. Um, And because, again, it gives other people permission to talk. As soon as one person says something, other people feel like they can talk about it. And I mean, that's that's to do with anything. Like this conversation you and I are having now, this is going to give people permission to talk to their friends about, well, urinary continence and UTIs and intercourse and all those sort of things that are all tied up together to do with health, but also love and also intimacy and companionship and just life yeah and I mean I'm here starting a podcast about these kinds of 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 issues so clearly I'm on that mission with you Mm -hmm. um I'm very much Mm -hmm. like that as well I'm just talking to anyone who who will listen um I know you mentioned to me before when we were talking about your experiences of birth um this is slightly unrelated to the incontinence issue but when you gave birth for the second time and you had your uh, vaginal birth after c-section um there was a little bit of guilt afterwards when all this started happening because you'd had an epidural and you felt as if you had almost caused this or done something wrong. Yeah. 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 So again, I can feel myself censoring myself, but I'm just going to go there. So in my mind, there was, there's a hierarchy of what is a good birth, what Mm. versus what is a less than good birth. And in my mind, the hierarchy goes something like, completely non-interventionist, natural, yogic breathing, (laughs) meditative, all the things, probably a water birth, you know, and then steadily the hierarchy moves down to things that have interventions, Mm. which would end up then a cesarean section being the lowest. Now, I didn't have any guilt around my cesarean because um, Alice was a breech presentation and, and I was happy to have access to that option with her birth but it felt different with my second child's birth in that that I chose to have an epidural because um I just wasn't managing the pain particularly well and um and so there was that feeling of sort of shame wow if you know my voice inside my head said wow if you had only been able to manage your pain better you wouldn't have needed to have the epidural Mm. and you wouldn't have then needed to have a urinary catheter and then you wouldn't have um, experienced symptoms of incontinence and all those recurrent UTIs so essentially it's your fault all this has happened and therefore you just have to suck it up and get on with life and did anyone ever, I know, I know, but did anyone ever even plant that idea in your head that maybe having had that epidural and the catheter uh, might have contributed to this? Or did you just make that up out of this general sense of shame? That's such a good question. I think, I don't think I completely made it all up, 
<laughs> but I do think someone along the point somewhere, because I was saying like, why is this happening? I think they would have said, well, you know, when you catheterize, sometimes there are implications for that. I don't think I made that bit up, Linnea. But um, certainly the big judgy voice story is absolutely, you know, all of, of just comes from somewhere. Mm. So... Yeah. Yeah. In fairness, the system didn't make me judge myself. I made me judge myself. But I do think there is that hierarchy that um, makes it hard to talk about particular things around birth that um, I think uh, also limits our ability as women to support each other in the vast variety of choices we make around this part of life. Mm. I mean, even the fact that um, that you use the word natural to describe the one type of birth at the top mm. of the, you know, um, mm-hmm. as if other births are not natural or, you know, it's, mm. that, that doesn't come from inside of you. There are conversations going on all, all the time to give us these ideas of what's meant to happen and who is a good, good pregnant woman and a good mother and mm. all these things. Um, mm. Do you think that your experiences impacted at all on your decision to have a third child in any way? Was that kind of was that part of the decision, the any feelings towards the third birth? We I always wanted more than two. Well, that's not true. When I decided I did want children, I did want more than two. And um so when we had our third child, we I actually did the same thing again with Frank. I um I had a an epidural and got catheter and the whole thing again because that was I just that's what I chose for myself it felt the best at the mm. time and interestingly I didn't have the same issues with <laughs> incontinence after that delivery so there you go it's it's not logical but um mm. I was dealing with I think I was far kinder to myself when our third child was born because um my dad had died um earlier that year very suddenly in a car accident he was quite young and um so it was almost like I had given myself permission to care for myself in the best ways I could mm. and I think maybe by that stage and I was a bit older and wiser too by that stage I was just like I've just got to do this the way I've got to do it and I'm I'm happy enough with that. So I, mm. looking back now that we're talking about it, I think there is a sort of a journey of a maturing journey for me anyway that yeah. each birth brought me a gift of some new insight or something or other or maybe an ability to be kinder to myself and and in fact my children have taught me that from probably their moment of birth to what they are now in their teenage years which is like to survive I need to be kind to myself because Mm. if if I try and put myself under huge pressure to do this right or to do this perfectly or to raise children that don't get in trouble or whatever it is that way lies just madness and I, when I use that word to really mean, my mind will just spin like crazy in my mm. skull because um, it's not possible to do these hard things. And parenting from birth on is just one challenge after the next. And I'm not saying that in a really negative way. I'm just saying it as parenting is really challenging and um, and birth is the beginning, <laughs> the, the first big challenge. Yeah. 
it almost feels wrong to ask this now, but I want to anyway. Um, mm. Looking back at your journey through the maternity system and your experiences of pregnancy, birth, uh, the early days of motherhood, is there anything you wish would have been different or anything mm. that you think could have been different that could have changed your experience for the better? Yes, I do think there. I think um, I would have loved to have people around me who spoke up about things that are hard to speak about. And, you know, the incontinence is being one of them. Maybe the sort of that, the unspeakable thing about how we judge different types of births. It would have been lovely to be able to have more talks about that. Like I had good talks with my mum and my sister, but even more, there's no such thing as too much of a good thing, right? And I firmly believe that the work I do now, which is about talking about hard things, is as a direct result of so many experiences in my life that have been more difficult because either I wasn't being wasn't able to speak up or mm. the people around me weren't speaking up and therefore you know I didn't know it was okay to speak mm. up so um for me the less blushing more talking thing is the thing actually that I wish had been <laughs> been different and yeah. at the same time as saying that I know that wasn't possible at the time and for so you I, or for for society as a whole um, I'm, th I'm talking broadly, so I'm talking mm. about myself and I'm thinking about our culture because the, the reason why I say that is because, um, t time is needed for some things to change and get better. And I only know about less blushing, more talking because of that I've got older and I have learnt that through experience so here's what I want to say I don't regret what happened um, because it was a stepping stone to the, the person I am now and the understanding I have about the complexity of life in general um, and I and at the same time I don't regret it and I wish more for others mm. I think that's where I am so that doesn't mean that I expect more from others but that I will do my very best in whatever influence I have to make the world an easier place for others so if that means speaking up about things that aren't usually spoken about then I will do it I will go there and I will say to pregnant people I don't know how anyone else feels about this but oh, it's really exciting and it's also really hard. Mm. Oh, I'm so happy for you. And, you know, sometimes it's really hard. <laughs> and it's just to strike that balance between the joy and also there are hard things about this and it's okay to talk about that. Mm. It doesn't sound as if you're angry or even bitter about what happened to you. Um, do you think that, that you've kind of been through that or do you think that you never really kind of reached those depths so to speak I was annoyed um and you've alluded to this before about being an expat and having a different health system that you know so for, for a long time 
in Ireland. I would like I didn't buy glasses here. I didn't get my hair cut here. I would go home and get my pap smear at home. And wow. it took me, uh, yeah, I would say years before I trusted the system enough to do it. So I think what happened was when the system let me down, it wasn't like I fully trusted it and therefore it was a terrible fall from grace. It was just like a, yeah, I knew it was crap. <laughs> Here's evidence of it. Go back home, do my thing and yeah. get on with life sort of thing. So I think for me, um, it was, it, there was no massive fall from grace. It was just a, oh yeah, well, this is what living in this country is like. Big shrug, get on with things and just do the best I can. Yeah. And how are you in your body now? I'm 48 now and I really notice my body changing. I'm, I'm actually approaching the menopause. Well, I am menopausal. So that is a whole nother interesting, oh, wow, other conversations that aren't usually had. You know? I think we so, might need to do another episode about yeah. that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so I, every day I focus on how do I, uh, body acceptance is a work in progress for me, absolutely. And um, so that's where I am with my body really that it's changing it, it has pain sometimes it's amazing and it lets me do things that I didn't ever think were possible um, and I think for me it's the journey through changes that is really challenging but also you know it's interesting <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you have any um wise last words um Advice for, say, a, a new young mother who suddenly goes for a run and wets themselves? You are not alone, first of all. You are not alone. And um, if at all possible, to be able to reach out to other people who have had that experience so that you don't feel like you're dealing with something that is sort of shameful and got a lot of stigma around it that would be so helpful but that giving advice goes against everything I believe in actually Linnea because what I think is useful is only useful for me and everybody is different so actually mm. better advice would be everybody is different and how you feel about your urinary continence is exactly right for you whether you're up more upset about it than the next person it's that's still perfectly fine and um you you can't be anyone you aren't so um accepting what's happening and accepting what it brings up for you and doing your very best to advocate for yourself and if you can't find someone with a louder voice a stronger voice who blushes less <laughs> that's perfect I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Absolutely not. Thank you so much for sharing and for talking, Sarah. You're welcome. That was Sarah Sproul on Bits of Me. If you want to follow Sarah, you'll find her on sarahsproul.com, on Instagram and Twitter as I am Sarah Sproul, and on the Facebook page Talking with Sarah Sproul. If you enjoyed this episode or know anyone who needs to hear it, please share it and follow bits of me underscore podcast on Instagram to find out when the next episode is out. Thanks for listening. <laughs>